Gather round, circle up, fill the cup, spill the tea Just believe, just believe the diamond dogs are here And that means that you're not alone We get one shot at this life And heaven knows, heaven knows that we try, that we try The diamond dogs are here All right, so welcome to episode two of the Diamond Dogs podcast. We're jumping right into the episode recap, which is something that I think we can all relate to. First days. (laughs) First First days on the job. What does that look like? So good old Ted finds himself on his first day at AFC Richmond. I'm sure still jet lagged. Um, And he's attempting to win over the players and the management. And he decides, little gift, he's going to bring his boss, Rebecca, some shortbread as a present. And she is just not interested because, remember, she's trying to kill the team, right? And so he's all about being friendly and uh, just, you know, wants to do this thing. Well, it turns out that the biscuits are really, really good. And she becomes obsessed with the biscuits and finding out, trying to find out where they came from. And then Ted, as he, you know, gets on the job and is in the locker room, he realizes that there's some pretty serious division. They've got a guy who he's got to be one of my favorites, Roy Kent, (laughs) who's an aging superstar, uh, constantly angry. He actually growls a lot, which I think is fantastic. And he's at odds with a star player who's uh, Jamie Tart. Um, And if you were ever annoyed by the uh, Baby Shark song, uh, you'll be annoyed by the one they make with Jamie Tart. Uh, super <laughs> egotistical, completely just all about himself. And then there's another player on the team, Sam uh, Obisanya, is uh, from Nigeria. He's really homesick. So uh, Ted throws him a birthday party, even though the team lost the game. That's an important piece. Like, should you do this even in the face of loss? And uh, so in trying to win over Jamie, Ted asks his girlfriend, who becomes a big uh, person in the show, Keely, like, how do I help this? She's a model. And she says you should give him praise, which he tries to do. Um, and then there's some other stuff. We don't want to spoil all of it for you uh, that Rebecca's trying to, to, to mix it all up. And uh, at the end of the episode, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, it's revealed that Ted is the one who is baking the biscuits and gives them to Rebecca himself every day, but she does not know that. So so sweet. So sweet. And uh, there's actually, we should put this in the show notes. Um, I learned this from somebody I used to work with. The uh, recipe for Ted's biscuits are out in the world. What? Okay. We will make sure to include that. And uh, I'm going to have to make an attempt at making those. I have not tried. I have the recipe that somebody sent me. have not tried them yet. Um, But I mean, if Rebecca's reaction is anything. I mean, they must be amazing. She, she's clearly very into them. She's obsessed. If you, again, if, if you're, if you're listening, hopefully you've, I'm hoping that you've, Watch the first one. You're like, I'm watching the next six, and you just, you know, <laughs> you, you just, just binged. binged. Yeah, you mm-hmm. just binged it. Um, several lessons, as always. I think from from good old Ted, uh, Beth. What were some of the ones that that really jumped out for you? Well, the first one we've we've already talked about in the show recap, which is this idea of the thoughtful gift, which we talked about last time, and the importance and the impact that that can make. I just love that part of the story so much. And then I know you and I both loved, not only did he bring her these, these biscuits, but he also asks her about her first concert. 
and she is so not interested. She could not. I care less about this conversation, but I love the attempt on his part to like really get to know her as a person. He really wants to connect with her. And I just, I love that. Love that I, so much. I, I have to point out something that I love that you just said. You said it correctly, which so many people in our in our country and our culture don't say. You said, couldn't care less. I hate when people say I could care less. I'm like, oh, uh, that's not correct. No. Mm-mm. I didn't add the NT at the end, that's kids. Right. Couldn't care it's less. It's possible that's another Indianaism. Is it? Is it a nationwide thing, or is that another awesome thing about living in Indiana? I, I'm not sure. I no, I see it. I see it on Instagram and on the <laughs> socials. Like I could care less because my and you know, as I said before, I have a degree in teaching English, so words are very important to me. And yes. We we could probably do a whole episode on dumb things that people say, but could care less. It's like that's not. Yeah, that's not right. It was that made because you couldn't care less. That's. <laughs> you're being emphatic about it, that you're at the end of caring. So um, anyway, yeah, she's just, she is not, she's not interested um, at all and, um, and tries to just really put him off, but he, he can't be put off. One of my favorites of this, and, and I had actually this same experience, well, similar experience with the same word is uh, learning the local language. And I think that this is learning the local language is not just if you go to another country, I'm doing a long-term engagement right now with a company that has its own language there. I mean, I'm writing down acronyms all the time um, only because if I, I mean, I do ask for clarification. I do raise my hand and go, um, what does that mean? But if I did that literally every time they said something, I that we <laughs> have your hands up the all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All the time. I'd be like holding my arm. So learn that language. And also if you are a leader and you have a new person think about the language that you're using do i mean you understand it right but maybe other people don't so he's learning the language of england and this idea of the boot so the very first time that i went to england i met i had not seen the woman who's now my wife i had not seen her for 4 months we met in england after meeting for a short time in europe and we were trying to decide if we wanted to do this thing, which by the way, we did. And we'll have 25 years in uh, May of this year. Super cool. But we Thank you. We were we we're in this little town, Henley on the Thames. I have to say it like that because I said the Thames and the, the English lady that I said it to, I thought she was going to have a heart attack. She's like, my dear boy, it's the Thames. I was like, oh, okay, no wonder we <laughs> left. Everywhere, I'm seeing everywhere around the, this little town, signs that say car boot sale. Saturday, nine o'clock. I mean, literally they're everywhere. You go into a shop. There's like three. They're on telephone poles are all over this town. And so finally I went to my friend. He's from Nigeria, but lives in England. His name's Gabby. And I said, Gabby, what the hell with these signs? He goes, he's like, what mate? And I'm like, what, like, what is a car boot? And he's like, oh, right. Uh, what do you call it then? I'm like, I don't know because what I don't it? know what a car boot is. He's like, oh, right. Where you put your luggage. And I was like, the trunk. He's like, the what? The tr-. I'm like, the trunk. He's like, no, mate, it's the boot. I, I still don't understand. Like, so your people are selling their trunks of their cars. Like, I don't understand. He's like, he's like, no, he's like, no, no, no. He's like stupid yank. So basically what he's, what he explains is that England is such a small country and real estate is so small that many people don't have gettages. Um, so you can't have a garage sale. You throw all of your very different meaning in America in today's yes. world, but you throw your junk in a trunk. <laughs> <laughs> 
And you basically you throw your junk in a boot and you drive it to a football field, which is really a soccer field. And you you just open your boot and people walk like just like hundreds and sometimes thousands of cars that are on. And you just you shop people's boots. And I was like, super cool. So I thought that is a really fun way to do uh, like a flea markety garage sale kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Ted goes through some pretty hilarious things about, and he, I love the banter that he and beard have. They're so hilarious back and forth about just so many things. And so they're, you know, trying to catch each other on using words and bed and did I use it right? And that sort of stuff. So this one is all around this idea of the boot, which is hilarious. Hilarious. Yeah. Definitely a highlight of the episode for sure. The other thing I really love that happens in this episode. And again, I think this, if you're watching the show with your leadership hat on and what can you learn about how to be a leader, this is such a great one. He, he does this really kind of cheesy thing where he makes a feedback box, you know, like a suggestion box for people to leave suggestions and notes. And the team is awful about it. You know, people are putting trash in it. They're saying terrible things. He opens up the you know, responses that are in there. And some of them are curse words and, you know, like it's not, it, it's not well-received, but I love the idea of it. And one thing that does come out in the box is that somebody uh, talks about mentions that the showers don't work well, like there's not enough water pressure. And so he see, you know, he goes through all of this, these suggestions and they're a mess and whatever. And he sees, and, the they're, one that is, and they're offensive, right? Oh, like they're he, awful. like, they're like awful. he could, he could look at, he could look at this and go, well, that was a waste. I, all I was, was offended. <laughs> Exactly. This was just a way for people to offend me. And I'm not opening myself up to that again. He takes none of it personally. He just keeps going through. He finds the one thing that is actually an issue that he can solve. And then he fixes it. He fixes the water pressure. And you see, there's a moment where uh, Roy Kent, who's my personal favorite character on the show. Uh, um, I love Roy Kent. I love him. I'll wear my sweatshirt that says I love Roy Kent at some point some point when we film. he's my favorite but anyway they show him in the shower and that you know that there's actual water pressure coming out and you see him have this epiphany of like oh he heard and he fixed it yeah and that's just such a great leadership lesson you know whatever yeah. the feedback is that you get how can you address that how can you actually take action on that yep. because it goes so far with helping your team trust you and and the other thing that I love, which is just right in line with Ted's character, is he doesn't likes he doesn't send Roy a memo to say that the shower's fixed. Yeah, he right? just does it. He, he doesn't say like, "Hey, I want everybody to know I I did this thing, so look how great I am." He just he just does it. Yeah. And you alluded to this, but I think this is so important because so many of us have been in situations where we are asked for feedback, we give it, and then Jack happens. And Jack being nothing, right? Like nothing happens. So when you ask for feedback, do something. And like in this situation, I'm sure it was a phone call to maintenance to say the shower pressure doesn't work. Doesn't he? And maybe he even like, maybe he even delegated that to somebody else. But the fact is you're asking for feedback, you get the feedback and then you do something. I think there are probably mm-hmm. many people listening who are like, oh yeah, I remember that survey. Never heard the results. Yeah. And that's in fact, done. as a, as a leadership, you know, professional in corporations, I can't tell you how many times somebody has come to me and said, oh, can you do a 360 survey on me? I you know, really want to hear people's feedback. And my answer to that more often than not was no, because it, unless you are willing to take action on what comes out of that, it will do you more harm than good every day of the weekend, twice on Sunday. And the number of leaders who are really prepared to do the work to address whatever comes out is pretty small. 
yeah. um, in general. So it's something that if you're going to do it, you really have to commit to it because it'll, it'll hurt you far more than it'll help if you're not doing what Ted does and actually taking some action. Absolutely. 100% agree with that. And then another that I really love, um, you know, because I, I like incorporating people and I like asking for suggestions. And I learned very on in my leadership journey that uh, the quiet ones uh, are some yeah. of the best because they're sitting back, taking everything in. Quiet people used to make me uncomfortable because it was my focus was all on me. Right. So I'm thinking they're quiet. They must be silently judging me. <laughs> and so they might, it might, they might be. It, well, and that's true. They may be, but it just made me very uncomfortable. And what I realized so I was in a, I, I led a sales team for several years. And when I left, the person that I handpicked to be my successor, who then did it for several years after me, was, was a very quiet person. And when I finally asked him what his feedback was, he was like, well, here you go. And it was so wise. And there were things that I never would have thought of. And there were things that he paid attention to that I, that I had never seen because he was sitting back being quiet. And Ted does the same thing. He asks the, so the kit man is the guy who takes care of the balls and the cleats and the uniforms and the towels and all that kind of a low, a lowly servant, if you will, on the team, not a coveted position. And some people on the team are uh, not super nice to him. Ted really embraces this guy and says, what do you think? And he's like, well, well, first of all, he asked him what his name is. Right. And he's like, what do you think? And he's like, you asked me my name and Ted, you know, comes up and he says, everybody's part of the team. And this guy had just never been made to feel like that before. And I think so often money, money's great, right? We, we, I don't know anybody that would go, nah, don't give me the raise. But I think the, the compelling thing for people, the the thing that really gets their heart going is, am I part of something bigger? Do I matter? Did what I do today make a difference? Um, and that's, you can see, I love that aha moment for, um, and I'm blanking on his name right now. Um, the kit. Man. Nate. Nate. Thank you. Yep. Nate, the great, he calls him Nate, the great. <laughs> yep. And, uh, he, 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 Nate feels seen. And I think the next, I don't know if it's in this episode, like the next day he calls his name again. He's like, you remembered my name. He's like, nobody remembers my name. And suddenly like, you can see Nate kind of like lifting his shoulders back a little bit. He didn't offer more money. He didn't take him out for whatever. He didn't give him like special recognition other than just like saying his name. And that part about the fact that everybody's part of the team, I just think is. Yeah. I love that that gets extended to in the scene where they, they do the birthday party for Sam too, because, you know, Ted is really insistent that, you know, Rebecca and the, um, yes. What is his name? Higgins, the Higgins. Yeah. Love Higgins. Like front, front office person, you know, that they come down and go to the, um, to the party. And, and I think he even says something about, you know, we're, we're all part of the team. It's important that we all be there. And it, it, he's just such a good role model of that, that behavior. And again, he didn't have to go, he didn't have to go ask them to come. Right. Mm -mm. It was, it was that belief that like core belief of his, that everybody is part of the team. And that means the folks from the very top to the folks to the very bottom, if there is such a thing. Um, and, and we should all be, be there and being part of it. So absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And then we have to talk about our animal, our favorite animal quote from this, our animal comparison quote for this episode, which is the goldfish. Yep, which again is anthropomorphism. That's right. For those of you playing, Keep the remembering. Home game. Keep yeah, remembering no, it was a Google check of the 
of the screen that's you still, still have open. it up on your screen. That's yeah. good. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, he so he has this great scene with Sam where <clears throat> Sam kind of uh, misses a shot, I believe is the context. And yeah. and Ted tells him, you know, you gotta, you know who the happiest animal on, on the earth is, and it's a goldfish. And why? Because it has a 10-second memory. <laughs> Be a goldfish, Sam. And I just I I he just has such a good, like quotable, you know, personality. But that's just such a good good lesson too of just shake it off you know you could move forward yep leave it in the past um taylor swift made a lot of money on that song shake it off shake it off that's right one of my faves Um, we're not going to have a, a guest on today's show because we thought, uh, really, when you look at the theme of today, it's this whole idea of team building, uh, because that's exactly what Ted is doing. He's building his team. He's figuring out how the team works. He's figuring out who's in, who's out, who's the challenge, who's not. Uh, what does he need to do to 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 um, get people bought in to do the, to do all the things? And so, what we thought we'd do today is just take a little bit of a deep dive on some of what Beth does and and how she does it, and what I do and how I do it, because we do similar things, but we do them also in different ways. And uh, obviously, we think that those things could be helpful. So, Beth, when you're first of all, do this. Tell us because your book, you wrote a book that's really exciting, and you have your own business. So, give us the thirty second or so pitch on. If I said, Beth, what do you do? So I am the president and founder of Rashley Consulting, which is a leadership coaching and and facilitation practice. So basically what I do is I work with clients, both one-on-one and in group settings. And and my goal is to just help leaders be their best, whatever I can do to support them. And sometimes that means walking in and working with their team as a whole. And sometimes that means working with them one-on-one. And I'm happy to do whatever it takes to help people be successful as leaders. That's awesome. How long have you been doing? How long have you been off on your own? Um, I've been off on my own um, just over two years. I left corporate America in November of 2019, right before the pandemic hit. Great so time to start a business. Really great time yeah, to start timing, a business. It's timing couldn't fun. be better. It's been really great. It's really been fine. It's you know it's required a lot of flexibility and adaptability, but incredibly grateful that I made the leap and and went out on my own. And I've been working in leadership development space for a long time. So this goes back to, I know in the last episode, I'm, I made a nonchalant comment about having worked at the CIA and Jason McFenemy, because that's uh, is part of our banter. But so I started my career off working in healthcare human resources. So my very, very first job out of college was as a nurse recruiter. I have a real passion for healthcare and have spent all of literally all of my career working in healthcare, except for the eight years that I moved to DC and worked at the CIA, which is for that small piece of life, different thing that I did. So I got recruited to work at the CIA out of graduate school, started doing just really boring training. I taught people how to uh, properly store electronic records so that they would be um, discoverable for FOIA requests. So that is the kind of riveting training I was providing for people. But I always tell people that's how I got good. That's how I got funny. Because if you can't make that kind of content interesting and exciting for people, right. you're just going to have a room full of sleeping people. Amen to that. Um, so over time, I, I kind of worked my way up there and eventually got a job working in leadership development at the agency. And I was part of a team that started leadership development programming for a branch of the intelligence community called the National Reconnaissance Office. And I spent most of my Sounds career badass. there. 
Yeah. They're the arm of the intelligence community that launches and maintains spy satellites. So cool job. I loved it. Loved working there, but did not really love living in the Washington DC area. So about eight years ago, my husband and I moved back to Indiana and have been here ever since I came right back to healthcare roots, started working in leadership development and healthcare. I have done that at a couple of um, companies here locally, and then made the leap a couple of years ago. So one could say you were a fish out of water when you were in DC, huh? Oh, boy, was that the truth? <laughs> I moved to DC. Like literally I was 27 years old when I moved there. I knew zero people. It was me and my dog at the time, Dizzy, who was the best wow. dog ever. And, you know, just completely that, that was really my first brave moment, right? Like you've no idea what's ahead of you just decided to take a leap. That's what you got to do. All right. I'm going to ask you two questions that were, that are burning for me every time I hear about somebody from the CIA. Uh, did you have top secret clearance? I did. You had to walk in the door as an employee at the um, agency. You have to have a top secret um, clearance and um, it's the highest level of top secret clearance. So it's not just uh, so you're not just your run of the mill top secret no. clearance, like just your, you know, no. average Joe or Jane clearance. No, it's both. They, yes, you can handle confidential information tops at the highest level, but it's also, are you a person that is of integrity, high enough integrity to be able to see what you're seeing? So it, it has an extra layer on top of it. So like a crazy thing when you have that level of clearance is when I, I met my husband, when I moved to DC. And when we got married, I had to fill out paperwork and they got to decide whether I got to marry him or not. Whoa! And if they had said, you don't get to marry him, my choices would have been to not marry him or to quit my job. I think it should be stated too, that, uh, like you said, it's a fairly high level of invasiveness, um, because you also had to run your book by oh, yeah. at the CIA to make sure that the things that you said were able to be said. Yeah. It's a lifelong, um, I'm under a secret secrecy agreement, uh, my entire life. So anything I write and publish has to be approved. <laughs> so, so when you sign up, it's lifetime yeah, membership. It's, a lifetime kids. Thing. it's those kinds of things that you don't really realize at the beginning, but it's really fine. They were so sweet about the book. Uh, and I had zero edits I needed to make. That's awesome. That's, um, I'm not sure that, um, sweet and CIA have ever been used in the same sentence until now. Oh, in history, only, maybe. only you only say that because you don't know the people who work there. I swear there's some, uh, just exceptional humans that work there. So that's very fantastic. grateful for that time. So based on what you do, Beth, what are some things you advise your clients to do when they come into a new team or a struggling team? Cause that's what Ted has done here, right? Oh, like yeah. the team, the team's not great. Uh, they just lost their owner. They've got a new owner. They got a new coach, this Yankee, the Yankee wanker. You can yes, look up that. that what you they call can, it? Yes, you can look that. up that on, on the Googles. Um, <laughs> and clearly, you know, some divisiveness, it's a struggling team. It's a new team. He's the odd, literally the odd man out. Cause he doesn't even know the rules of the game. So when you have a client who's like, I think actually when we first started, uh, when I first met you, uh, you were saying that you really like, uh, you said you like working with hot messes. I do. I like a nice, messy team as that's, a, as a professional. Now I don't always love that as a leader. And luckily I've, I've had very little of that in my leadership career, but as a consultant, I love walking into a team that's really struggling and trying to figure out how to pull them together. I love it. I love the challenge of it. All right. So if there are leaders out there that are leading the hot mess express, and you need some <laughs> help. You tell, what are some things you tell them? 
the number one thing, especially your, your, your question context of you're walking in new, like you're walking in brand new and the team is a mess. The number one piece of advice I would have, it really falls in line with what we've been noticing from the show, which is to walk in and get to know the people. Don't come in and make a bunch of like sweeping changes, come in, get to know the people, (laughs) start with the humans. And then you're going to learn a lot about what's happening with the work and the rest of it will come. But if you start with the people and making sure that um, you're building trust, that you're connecting with them on a human level, that you're getting to understand what are their pain points about work, the rest of it's going to be a lot easier. And unfortunately, sometimes leaders, especially when you're walking into a team that maybe has been failing or things aren't going well. Maybe you've been brought up. Sometimes you're even brought in as a leader to clean up a team. You know, they'll even use that, I hate that, that language. I hate that kind of crap, but it's, you know, often that is, is the context that you're being brought into a job. If you walk in with that mindset and walk in with a mindset of cleaning house, or I'm going to get these people performing, you know, it's just going to backfire. You have to start with getting to understand the people and why the problems are the problems, <laughs> you know, get to the root of what's happening. Yeah. Um, and that's just going to be time really well spent. It's not always going to feel super productive. It's not always going to lead to like an overnight numbers bump, but it's the way to play the game correctly <laughs> and to make totally sure agree. that the people stay and that the people thrive. I love that because especially in today's world, making sure that the people stay is a big deal. Oh and yeah. I, you can't afford to lose people right now. There, no. There's nobody to replace them. So no. And again, money isn't, I mean, money helps, but if, if somebody's looking to leave, they've, they're looking to leave partially for money, but if money is the only thing that you throw at them to get them to stay, I mean, they'll buy some things with the new money and it'll be fun for a minute, but then it just becomes the same old stuff again. Right. And absolutely. Absolutely. So maybe you, to your point, get to know the person, why are they is there another reason other than money yeah. that they're thinking about leaving? Yeah, absolutely. And the answer to that right now, especially in these times, you know, that as part of the research for my book, you know, the the numbers on burnout and yeah. um, the mental health crisis, they're really staggering right now. Um, so more often than not right now, the answer isn't money, it's flexibility. How can you give some flexibility in whatever form that exists in your industry to help people as they navigate those situations. Totally agree with that. Um, I've got another question for you. As you have worked with people, you know, from healthcare to government, to the companies that you walk into, do you have an overarching, I like to help people avoid mistakes. So do you have have you seen like a recurring mistake or a recurring thing that you're like, Oh gosh, you shouldn't have done that. Like that you could, if so fill in this blank for me, if you are a new leader, uh, walking into a team, make sure that you don't X, what would you say? And and the the framing of this isn't going to quite match with what you asked, but it's, it's what I believe in my core about leadership success, which is if you walk in and make whatever is happening about you, what I like to call ego, egotistical leadership, you see it, you see it in corporate America a lot. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. I think in, in general, it's, it's almost like normalized that that's what a leader is supposed to look like, but those leaders will get to a point in their career where they can get no higher because that ego gets in the way. It gets in the way of their success. It gets in the way of 
people wanting to work for them. Um, yep. because nobody wants to work for somebody who it's all about them. Who's an asshole. Let's just yeah. call it what I it mean, is. Let's just call it what it is. Nobody wants to work for somebody like that. So if you can walk into a team and make it about the team, you're going to kill it. Like, yep. and I'm a big, deep believer in servant leadership and that mindset of if, if you're getting into leadership to help and serve others, you're going to be fine. <laughs> you're going to make minor mistakes. You're going to recover from those. You're going to be fine. If you get into leadership because you want the pay raise or you want the title, or you think that being a vice president makes you a better person or fills some hole that you have inside of you, that is not, that is just not what leadership It's exactly right. It's fake news. It's just not what leadership's about. I love, um, I'm a big like most people in my work, I'm a big Patrick Lencioni fan. He has a great book called The Motive, which I feel like kind of got lost in the shuffle. It's not one of the of his books that gets talked about a lot, but he talks about that. There's one reason to get into leadership and that's it. It's to take care of the people. And if that's not your motive, don't do it. <laughs> and really, I'm not sure if Ted ever necessarily explicitly says that, but it it exudes from all oh, absolutely. that he is. And I had a I had a situation once in my corporate life, literally called out by the president of the division that I worked in, um, on the floor, open cube farm environment. So every, you know, it was one of those things like he started this dialogue and you could hear the keyboards like stop moving. Cause everybody was like listening <laughs> in, right? Like, yeah. but I mean, he said it loud enough for everybody, but he literally said to me loud enough for everybody on the floor to hear, <clears throat> have we not gone over this before? there is a hierarchy here and I'm a, I'm a seven on the Enneagram. So I'm an enthusiast with a wing eight, which is the challenger. That's not Don't F work with for me you. on those. Like I, to, to my detriment, I will say this, uh, definitely I can look back in times, but, but also like, I feel good that I stood up when you push me like that. I don't back down. I come like, I come full, like I come charging at you like a bull in a ring. Like, so it did not go well, (laughs) but I just, and, and ironically, here's the ironic thing. That same leader several years before had, had given me some advice. Um, I was new in leadership and he said, uh, never forget. He said, I learned this from somebody else. Never forget that when someone shows you their true colors, believe them, believe them. Yeah. And ironically, this person showed me those colors several years later. And I was like, aha, aha. Yep. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when things aren't done authentically too, like this is a story I share a lot in classes and it's in my book as well. I had a, a leader on, on one of the last teams I was at when I was still working for the government, he was a, a chief learning officer and in general seemed like an okay guy. I never, never really connected with him, but he was very out of touch. He would do a lot of, he spent a lot of time in his office. Uh, a lot of times when I would walk by his office, he would literally be asleep. He just seemed kind of checked out. Oh my gosh. And, um, sounds checked out. Yeah. He's pretty checked out. But anyway, one day it was like, somebody had told him, you know, you should walk around and talk to the people. So all of our offices were kind of in a row. And I heard him next door to me talking to my, you know, the person that was next to me. And sure enough, here he came to my office and I'd probably worked for him at that point for six months or so. He wasn't my direct boss, but Certainly his office was around the you know corner from mine. He he started to walk into my office and then he walked back out and he looked at the nameplate. Oh my and was gosh. like, hey Beth, how's it going? Uh, and I was like, 
oh, get out of my office. Right. And you're like, just right. get out of my office. How do you not even know my name? And then while in the conversation, he started talking about how terrible part-time employees were and how they were a drain on the organization. And I was at the time a part-time employee because I had just had my son. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, somebody's going to have to get this guy out of my office. before oh, I kill my. But like, you know, Gosh. so here he is doing this thing that in general is something you would be advised to do, right? Like right. connect with your people, but his heart wasn't in it. It wasn't who he is as a person. There's no integrity to it. So it just made things worse. And I, I never had any respect for him. I've never been happier to see anybody walk out of an office than that guy when he did. Um, I mean, it, it, it's funny to me because there actually is a, there's a book called Management by walking walk, around. By right? walking around. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. And I think it became an acronym for a while, the MBWA. Yep. I yep. actually think that I saw it like an MBA, like this was your MBA, but the W was like in parentheses or yep. something. Like this is the MBA you should have, the management. Yep. And I was like, I'm like, if you have to tell somebody that they need to walk around and know their people to be a manager, you probably, probably shouldn't you know, have hired them to be a leader. Right. Like that, what Jeff Foxworthy is like, you're probably a redneck if. <laughs> Kind of thing, like you're probably a bad manager. Yeah, if. if, yeah, yeah. If you had to read a book for somebody um, to tell you to walk around and talk to your people, yeah, it's not ideal. Okay, nice. Jason, I am not going to let you off the hook here. Um, you are also just an expert in all all things employee and leadership, in my opinion, Appreciate and that. have been such a gift and a mentor to me over Aww. the years. Thank you. Um, I'm really curious for you, like first, tell us a little bit about how you, how you work with clients and what your business is about. Cause it's such a, such a cool business. Well, thank you. Um, so I always knew that I wanted to start my own business. My dad was an entrepreneur. He owned a construction company pretty much my whole life. Um, so I carried around with me for probably close to 25, well, more than that, probably almost 30 years. Um, either a spiral bound notebook or a manila folder that had MOB on it, which stood for <laughs> not that I wanted to be a mob boss, but stood for my own business. And I would put in, you know, like articles or I'd have a great customer experience and I'd write down what was great about it, or I'd have a terrible customer experience. And I'd write down what was terrible about it. And so I had this thing forever. Um, and I got to a place where I saw the writing on the wall that the, the gift of severance is what I call it now, that the gift of severance was going to be, uh, delivered to my door, uh, in a matter of months. And so, um, I'm going to give a shout out right now to somebody that I know is near and dear to both of our hearts, Jenny Robbins. Uh, If you, what would life be without Jenny Robbins? Seriously. If you are somebody, as you're listening to this, who goes, I think I might want to try my own business, but I get in touch with Jenny Robbins. We will put her contact information in the show sure notes. Will. Um, and we would happily give you a referral or talk to you more about uh, what she did. So she helped me put a framework together for the company that I now own, which is called Firestarters Incorporated. I had the title um, on the business card that I thought would fill a hole. And it was, it was, ugh, it was just icky. And uh, so when I started my own company, I thought, you know what? I can make up my own title. So my title, I have two titles. I am the uh, chief firestarter and the tribe leader of Firestarters Incorporated. And our overarching vision is to change the world one fiery heart at a time. And the mission that underlines that is to help folks in organizations and outside. So whether you're in a corporate world or you're by yourself, um, you want me to come in and work with your team or individually, and that is to help people ignite hope and to torch fear. Mm. Um, 
especially during the pandemic, a lot of hopelessness and a lot of fear. And I think people in general, I talk a lot about being stuck and uh, people just get stuck. Um, One of my phrases is get comfortable being uncomfortable, which I've already said. And I have a t-shirt, several of them actually to that point. And the, the thing is that I've learned with people is that we will choose comfort over change even... No, we will choose status quo over change because somehow, even if we're miserable, like that's the, you know, the devil, you know, kind of deal. Yeah, absolutely. And part of the reason that I started my company is because I worked at a very, uh, and and on one hand, the greatest thing about the company, slow moving, conservative, made it through all the downturns in the economic world with bells on. But when you would ask to do some innovative things, literally the response overwhelmingly was, well, (laughs) which if you've been in an organization like that, or you currently are, you know, that that means no, (laughs) it may take, may take six months of meetings that are bullshit, um, to get to the no, but it, (laughs) you'll eventually get to the no. And so, um, I started this company called Firestarters Incorporated and I work with corporate teams, um, to come in. I take them through a program that I wrote called 30 days to blaze. And, um, I also do a lot of individual coaching and pre COVID I was doing a lot of speaking, which I love. Like, I know that there are people in this world who are like, Oh my gosh, please don't, don't make me speak in front of people and don't ever put me on a stage. I'm like, is there a wireless mic and how big is the stage? And when, like, if you told me literally, if you told me today, you're like, Jason, our, our speaker canceled, um, we're on in an hour and here's the topic. I would be like, cool. Can I start in 30 minutes? I would not want to wait for an hour. Like get me out there. That is so true. And you're so talented in that Uh, area, friend. Thank you. I love it. It's it's and and here's the other thing that I, I I learned this phraseology. And if you're out there thinking about doing your own deal, I I think this needs to be a, a big piece of it. And I know Beth that you would agree with this. Um, so many people that are in jobs, and I'm not dissing the corporate world. Listen, there I'm here because of leaders in the corporate world who who poured into me, right? I owe a lot to my corporate experience. Um but you'll hear people talk about things that they have to do. Mm-hmm. And I love my job because they are things that I get to do. I get the opportunity to come in and help people ignite hope and torch fear in yeah. various different ways. Yeah. And honestly, a lot of that is just asking a question and shutting my mouth and listening because it's amazing what people will tell you if you ask and give them the freedom to speak. It's it's just mind-blowing. And and every day that I come home, it, it's I'm I am reminded that it's a get to. And it's oh, absolutely and I worked hard to get to that. It didn't come overnight. Um so yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So given all of that, I want um you've worked with so many great uh corporations both you know, in your business and before that, I'm curious from you, like, what do you think the most effective teams have in in common? Like, what are the things that you, if you were just going to compile everything together and say, these are the the handful of things that I think are really important for effective teams, what would you say it is? Um, One, I think that there, there has to be 
Well, let me, let me, let me back up and give you an answer that I got from someone I used to work with. Somebody said to me once we were talking about like what we were doing over the weekend. And this person made a comment. It was my boss at the time. He said, um, I'm a totally different person out of work than I am at work. Mm. And as I, as even as I'm telling you this story right now, I don't get that. Mm-mm. It makes me kind of crinkle my face and turn my head. Like I don't, I, I didn't understand it then. And I don't understand it now. I'm not saying that you need to you know, let your freak flag fly a hundred percent of the time, you know, at the, in the court, but people should know, like, it shouldn't be a surprise about what you love to do and what makes you, you and what you're like, people should know that at work. And one of the things that I say to teams that I work with all the time is don't waste a lunch. Yeah. And I think so many of us, especially in this zoom culture that we found ourselves in, we're like scarfing down the you know, the lean cuisine or the the cold pizza from the day before or yogurt or whatever it happens to be as we're running to our next meeting. And for, for some reason, we've gotten really freaked out about eating on Zoom. Look, I sit across from you at a restaurant and watch your mouth move. I see you put food like why do why suddenly yeah. because I'm I mean, OK, maybe mute it while you're chewing because <laughs> I don't want to hear you. Right. I don't want to hear that on the microphone and in my ears. But like, why can't we, why can't we still have lunch? And so many of us are not, are not doing that. We're not, we're not unplugged. And and here's what I say, like never waste a lunch. That doesn't mean so you have more meeting time and you can talk about the thing, the deadline, the project, the whatever, screw all of that. Have a conversation about one of my all time favorite conversation starters is, can you tell me the story about how you got here? I've had, I literally have asked that question over a thousand times in the time that I've been in, in the professional world. I've never had somebody go, eh, yeah, not going to share that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really want to tell you about me. Nobody ever does that. So if you can ask that question, it is amazing the things that you'll learn. The things that they talk about are things that are important to them, whether it's family, education, yeah. career, hobbies, like you will learn so much about people. So first and foremost, you have to know your team well. You have yeah. because if you don't know them well, you don't trust them well. And yeah. when you don't trust them well, you're not going to show up as your, you know, the, all yeah. the things that Ted does. Yeah. So that's that's one. And the other thing that I would say um that's that's crucial is there has to be a compelling idea for all of us to rally around. Yeah. Right? That. Like process improvement not compelling. <laughs> what process improvement leads us to? Yeah. That's compelling that we're going to be able to, you know, get this product in the hands of people faster and it's going to save more lives. That's a compelling idea that I can get yeah. behind. Like process, like we're going to improve a hundred processes. I'm not yeah. fired up about that. I never get fired up about companies too, with like all the, all the big visions are like revenue goals. Yes. It, it, that's a hard thing to get employees to rally around because they're getting the same pay- paycheck regardless of what that revenue number is. Right. Um, and that's just not compelling. It's just not compelling enough. For and people. let's be honest, the leaders at the top are getting a lot more. From a lot of that money. That's that. why it's a goal. Yeah. Yes. Um, that, that's a. And I, I, and I think especially today in the world as, as the great resignate, whatever you want to call it, the great resignation, yeah. the crisis of talent or what, whatever it is. Uh, I heard Gary Vaynerchuk say this even before COVID. He said, listen, in my company, we don't have a war on talent because my people don't want to leave Yeah, because we've done it well. He said, if you're involved in the war on talent, that's because you're not doing it well. Yeah, And I 100% 
agree with that. And and so many people are lo- like, what does your what does your company stand for? What do they do in the community? What legacy are they leaving? And so if you don't know each other and you don't have a compelling idea to rally around, you're going to have a disjointed and, and disengaged team. Yeah. And, and, and like just an easy thing, I would just do a couple onto that because I've worked for for-profit companies, not often in my career, because that's just not, um, not what tends to draw me to jobs, but the handful of times that I've had, mm-hmm. every single one of them had some sort of charity mission as well. So yeah, yeah. there was a revenue goal, but there was also a really strong community presence and a volunteerism that was there. Don't underestimate those things. Things Those are things that make people really proud and excited to come to work. Yep. 100% and they're not hard agree. to do. And they're actually a great team building tool too, <laughs> to go and volunteer together. That's a great way. To yeah. Get to a, gr- a great question to ask the, the team is, um, why are we here? Yeah. Just ask people at the beginning of right now, why are you, what, what is, what's, what is the mission? I'm not saying the corporate BS that's on the wall that they paid some consultant to make and you know sound really good. I'm t- like, why? Why is your team doing the work that it's doing? Yeah, I love that. Love it. All right, what what would you leave people with around best practices for building a team? How can we wrap um, this up? So I think we've touched on several. I would I would say two, and you alluded to this. So I'm gonna I'm gonna share a phrase that somebody taught me a long time ago. It's one of the mantras that I live by because you talked about being flexible and and just not being rigid in your approach. Um, a, a phrase that I use a lot is "Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken." Um, I tell people that that's in the book of First Barnaby. Um, I like it. I like or, it. Or second hesitations, depending on the way I'm <laughs> feeling. Um, but I just think being you know, I think about the the Friends episode where Ross is trying to get the couch up the back stairs yeah. and he just keeps going, pivot, 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 pivot. You have, you, I mean, if, if COVID has taught you and I anything, it's like, oh, well, that thing's not going to work now and we've got to pivot and do something yep. else. The other yep. one that I would say, and this is really hard, especially if you're in a company that's driven by a revenue goal. And that is that if you are a leader at the beginning, especially, and I think this is what Ted has done, you know, because they're like, we got to win games, we got to get people on the field. You have to go slow to go fast. And going slow means getting to know your people because if you don't know your people and they don't trust you, they're not going to follow you. Doesn't matter how fast you're running, you will be running by yourself eventually. And it's, and you know, a lot of leaders are lonely because they've just, they've taken off running and haven't brought their people with them. And this whole idea of what that Ted does so well of just getting personal, you know, I mean, yeah. just, you should, you should have a, a, a list of five questions in your pocket that are conversation starters. Like he does best and worst concert concert go, you know, and then suddenly you're off and running and, you know, favorite food, food you'd never eat. If you, you know, somebody put a gun to your head. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Love it. All right. Well, I think we are uh, wrapping up this episode. Thanks for joining us. And if you haven't checked out episode two, make sure you go watch. It's so, so good. So good. Peace. Thanks for joining us for the Diamond Dogs podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the show. You can find us on Instagram at the Diamond Dogs podcast or wherever you like to listen.